0: Thank you so much, Terry. I appreciate those kind words. And actually our history here at this church goes back even way beyond that. So there's a couple of old timers here, Norma, I think, and Jan was here first hour. This church came out of the church that supported my parents back in the 50s and 60s, Faith Church. And when it became Walnut Grove in the early seventies, it supported my parents in Pakistan. So this building and a number of you that are still here were part of the ministry in Pakistan for many decades. And We thank you for that, and it's a privilege to be kind of not back here again, but back with what God is doing now in this day and age. Well, would you pray with me again as we begin to look at God's Word? Morning by morning, Isaiah said, God awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord has opened my ear and I was not rebellious, I turned not backward. God, that's our prayer that as your followers this morning, you would open our ears. We don't want to hear what a man thinks, we want to hear what you know is true and what you have told us to do. Would we not be rebellious? Would we not put away your word? But would we listen to it eagerly? And we ask that you would empower it by your Holy Spirit to the glory of Jesus' name. And in his name we pray. Amen. Well, what is your ambition in life? I don't know if you've ever thought about that. You may say, I don't have one, but I bet you do, uh, if you think hard enough. Now, they asked some kids what they wanted to do in life, and here were some answers that kids wrote in. Can you read that from back there? Uh, some ambitions are, are too great. This, this was like... Now, he might be able to kiss a girl, but like ruling the world, probably not going to happen. Other ambitions are not high enough. This guy must have had a wonderful dog in his family. He wanted to grow up to be a dog. Maybe it's because they didn't have to go to school, I don't know. But. And then some ambitions just aren't going to happen at all. Uh, this guy wanted to be Michael Jordan when he grew up, but to do that he would have to get bigger, he would have to shave his head, and he would have to be black. <laughs> so that's, that's probably not going to happen but what are some ambitions you have? Maybe deep in your heart you wonder, this is kind of what I'd like to do. I'd like to be Mr. Monopoly man and just have all the money in the world. Maybe you want to accomplish something great or visit parts of the world that just have amazing views. Or maybe you're just more chill and would just like to make enough money so you can kind of just kick back and enjoy the beach the rest of your life. Uh, Some of you may have more ambition than others. Uh, So some of us do have more of some stuff than others. And then Some strive their entire lives for excellence. They seek to find their passion, to raise a family, to leave their mark on the world, or to earn their fortune. Some just want a warthog. (laughs) And believe it or not, I didn't know what a warthog was until between services when I was informed that it's actually part of, it it was part of a video game of Halo, right? And then they eventually finally made a real warthog. But maybe that's all you want to do is just play video games and fire one of these things around. What is your ambition in life? Um, it might end badly for you if you get the wrong ambition (laughs) a thousand mile journey this poor salmon swim for a thousand miles just to get eaten by a bear like they're going the wrong direction and then some people uh, just bite off more than they can chew (laughs) well what I mean by that question is what do you hope to have accomplished at the end of your life and this is an important question because life moves very quickly before you know it I mean, 60 used to be really old, now it's looking younger and younger, and life moves on. And one day, if the Lord doesn't return first, you and I are going to leave this earth, and what are we going to leave behind? John Piper said, the thought of coming to my old age and saying through tears, I've wasted it, I've wasted my life, was a fearful and horrible thought to me. So we're going to take some time this morning and think about this question, because Paul had a driving ambition in his life. It shaped every decision that he made, even as to whether or not he should get married. That's how important this was to him. And when he got to the end of his life, do you remember what he said? I have fought the fight. I have kept the faith. Faith, I have finished the race. And that's what I hope each one of us can say at the end of our lives. But what do we spend our lives on? I mean, there are so many needs out in the world, are there not? I hear that in Canada every year, thousands of seals are brutally murdered with clubs and then stripped of their skin, some even alive, because of the value of their furs. And so people are outraged at that, and they give their lives to save the seals. Not a bad thing to give your life to, is it? But maybe not the best. the environment. The earth is warming. We have climate change. And this is a terrible thing for future generations. Maybe somebody wants to give their lives to to saving the earth. And that would be a good thing to do. There are many other problems in this world. There's poverty. There's injustice. There's racial strife, tension, and warfare. There is sex trafficking. There is disease. I mean, There are problems all over the place, and what do we give ourselves to? Well, let me suggest that the very greatest ambition we can have in life is the ambition that the Apostle Paul had, and he tells us what that is in verse 20. So if you haven't yet, open your Bibles to Romans 15, verse 20, where he says, Thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named. This was the driving force in Paul's life. He wanted to preach Christ where nobody had ever heard of him before. And where did this ambition come from? He describes it in the previous verse, verse 19. He says, So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, and we'll show you in a minute where that was, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. This is our key phrase for this morning to fulfill the ministry of the gospel of Christ. The NIV says, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. The NASB says, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ, but that's not what the Greek actually says. The Greek simply says, I have completed the gospel of Christ. And so translators add these other words in to help us understand, but it poses a very interesting question. Because Paul is essentially saying that the gospel was incomplete. And you're going, well, wasn't that what the Reformation was all about? (laughs) That we finally understood that the gospel was complete, that Jesus did everything we needed for our salvation? What does he mean by this? Because this is the very, not the creator of it, but the explainer of the doctrine of justification by faith alone is Paul. And he says the gospel is incomplete. So I took that word and found it in a few other verses to help you understand what that word means. In Mark 6:43, the same word pleruo, after feeding the 5,000, there were 12 baskets that were full, they were completely full. They were pleruoed. Uh, in Mark, Matthew 5:17, Jesus says, "I've come not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. He's come to complete it, to finish it in a sense. Galatians 5:14, the whole law is summed up. Playruo, the same word that the summation of it is in this single command. Acts 12, 25, when they had finished their mission, we know what that word means. When they had playrued their mission, and then finally, Romans 8:4, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. That's what this word means. He is implying that the gospel has a deficiency in it that has to be completed. Now, if that raises a question for you, let me make it even more complicated by taking you to Colossians 1.24. Because there he says the same thing, not about the gospel, but about the sufferings of Christ. He says, I rejoice in what was suffered for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, you're, you're going, I hope you're going, what do you mean, Paul? What is lacking in Christ's death? What is unfinished about the gospel? Because if we add anything to salvation by faith alone, we, as he says in Galatians, we change the gospel and we're to be condemned. So what does he mean by using this word, I have completed the gospel? For thousands of years, children around the world suffered from the horrible disease of polio. It's an infectious disease that causes muscle weakness and paralysis. Then in 1955, Jonas Salk discovered a vaccine that would keep you from getting polio. And so we began to vaccinate kids all over our country. And here's the result of that. In 1952, before the vaccine was discovered, there were 58,000 cases of polio in the United States in that one year alone. Two years after the vaccine was discovered and made available, in 1957, there were 5,600 cases of polio in the US. And just four years later, in the entire country, there were only 161 cases of polio. Now, what had happened? Was there a deficiency in the vaccine? No, no, the vaccine was good. But what happened? We now got the vaccine out to everybody in the United States, and we wiped out polio. But the really sad fact is that for the next 30 years, the incidence of polio around the world did not decrease. Now think about that. Our children were being protected from polio. Children around the world continued to get it at the same rate that they have been getting it throughout history. Why? I know you probably don't do question and answer when you're in church hearing a sermon, but this is a really obvious answer. Why did the incidence of polio not go down even after we discovered the vaccine? Anybody? Yeah. The vaccine wasn't completed. And in what sense, John? The vaccine in one sense was complete, just like the gospel in one sense. Jesus has done everything we need for our salvation. We can't add a thing to it. He said it is finished on the cross. But in this sense, he's saying it's not complete. Why? Because we didn't share. share. People don't know about it. And if the vaccine is sitting in America, children in India are never going to be rescued from the disease of polio. And that's what Paul is saying. The gospel is a beautiful thing. And he's just spent chapters describing how sinful we are and how Jesus has come to earn our justification and, and how... The Spirit then comes and fills us and and helps us to be conformed to his image. And, And now he's saying, this gospel that we've explained to you Romans and that I preach everywhere I go, still is not complete. Why? Because it's not known everywhere in the whole world. And this is what drove Paul in all of the decisions of his life. He wanted to preach Christ where he had never been named before. The completion of the gospel, from verse 19, means that every single person has an opportunity to hear. And until that happens, the gospel is not completed. And this is why, for Paul, the ambition of his life was to preach in those places where Christ had never been proclaimed. And my challenge for you this morning is that you would take up that mantle, that you would make it the ambition of your life, the greatest thing that you could possibly invest your years in would be to make sure that the gospel gets to those people who have never heard, so that they can receive the inoculation of the blood of Jesus Christ and be saved from the devastating effects of hell for all of eternity. Paul burned with a passion to complete the gospel. That's actually why he wrote the book of Romans. You see, he was writing this theological treatise to prepare the church in Rome to send him to the ends of the earth. Now, we're probably more familiar with the earlier chapters of Romans than we are with chapter 15, but there's something fascinating that we read in verse uh, 22. This is the reason, he says, why I have so often been hindered from coming to you, but now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. Now, Spain, for the geographers of the world at his time, was the end of the earth. Paul knew that there were people in Spain who had never heard the name of Christ, and his life was now focused laser like on this mission of taking the gospel to those in Spain. So, what did the church in Rome have to do with it? Well, it goes on in verse 24 and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a little while. Paul knew it was going to be hard to get from Rome to Spain. We're talking pre-electricity, pre-car, pre-airplane. They're walking. They're going by boats around the world. There are bandits. It's hard. And he needed a church behind him to send him on to the ends of the earth. So he writes 16 chapters of the most glorious letter ever written. This is the best missionary support letter you'll ever see. He wanted them to understand the theological foundations for what he was doing. And then he wanted to elicit their participation and to send him along to accomplish that task. He had a vision for preaching Christ where he had never been known in order that the gospel might be completed. Now, a vision for completing the gospel has three elements to it. And so I want to look back through this passage now and see those three elements of a vision for completing the gospel. Now, you thought until you walked in this morning that the gospel was complete. Now you know it's not, right? Everybody with me so far? And and how do we get to that vision? How do we make that a part of our, of our hearts and our minds and our decision-making? We need to understand three things. First, that vision sees past a competent church, verses 14 and 15. Look at those verses with me. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers. Never been to Rome, but he'd heard about them. And here's what he said about the church in Rome, that you yourselves are full of goodness filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. You see, the church in Rome was a competent church. We don't know who established it, who was running it, but he had heard enough about it to know that they knew about Jesus. And what does he say specifically about them? That they're full of goodness. They've been transformed by Jesus Christ, and they have the Holy Spirit in them. He says they are filled with all knowledge. They understand the scriptures. They've been taught The revelation of God through the prophets and the apostles. And they were able to instruct one another. They were a church that functioned well together, functioning on the one another's of the gospel. They had fellowship together that was building them up in their faith. And as Paul looked at Rome, he saw a competent church there, and he praised God for that. But his vision for preaching Christ where he was not known led him to see beyond, to see past the competent church in Rome. Now, it's not that there was nothing to do in Rome. In fact, he himself said here he wanted to remind them about some things. And so, yeah, we who have the gospel, we who are incompetent churches, need pastors like Tommy to remind us of things in the gospel. We we need people working here. And and Paul in chapter 1 said that "I, I long to share the gospel with you. We need to be reminded of the truths of our faith. But a vision for preaching Christ where he's not been known sees past that to the ends of the earth. The church in Rome was not perfect, but it was healthy. And this is why Paul had been detained, because the gospel had been completed in Rome. That's the first element of a vision for completing the gospel as it sees past a competent church. Secondly, a vision for completing the gospel looks beyond a proclaimed gospel, verses 16 to 19. The end of verse 15, Paul begins to transition from talking about the church in Rome to describing his own missionary ministry. And if we had more time, I'd love to, to describe what he talks about in these verses. Really helpful for us to understand missions, but we just have time to quickly wave at them as we go by. The end of verse 15, because of the grace given me by God. Missions is hard work, and it requires the grace of God to enable us. And he had experienced that. Verse 16, to be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Paul understood that he had to become a servant, not a master, if he was going to do this job. And it was, verse 16, a priestly service of the gospel of God. He was a priest. What what do priests do? They connect man with God and God with man, and that's what he went around doing. He went around describing to people what God is like and what he requires from us and what he's provided for us in Christ so that we can be reconciled to God. Paul saw himself as a traveling priest reconciling people to God through Jesus Christ. And then as he did that, he says that they might, so that the offering of the Gentiles, verse 16 again, may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul says, as I did my missionary task, God gave the fruit, and now I had something to present on the altar to God. I had a sacrifice to give to him, and that sacrifice was those who came to faith through his ministry. He said, God, my life is now counting for something, because through me you have brought people to faith in you, and I present them as an offering to your glory. And he goes on in verse 17, In Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. There is great value in doing missionary work. You wouldn't think the great Paul would say, I'm proud of something, would you? But that's what he just said. Now notice, he doesn't take credit for it, because he says, God did this through me. But he has a deep inner satisfaction that God has used him to accomplish his mission in the world. And how did he do it? Verse 18, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. You see, we don't just go and preach the gospel, we show the gospel. That's why we're involved in medical ministries, why we're involved in compassion ministries, why we should be involved to correct injustices around the world, because we want to we show people what happens when Jesus is made king. We want to show people the love of God, and Paul did that in word and deed. He proclaimed the gospel. Verse 19, by the power of signs and wonders, God used Paul to do miracles, to bring people's attention to this great God so they would come to faith in him through Jesus. By the power of the Spirit of God, he knew that whenever he preached, it was not his words, but it was the power of the Spirit taking those words and opening people's eyes to see the the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And he'd seen the power of God descend and, and bring many people into the kingdom. And what was the scope of his ministry then? So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, and then we come back to our phrase, I have fulfilled, I have completed, I have finished the gospel of Christ. Now, what area was this? We're probably not real good with our geography. So here's what he's saying. From Jerusalem, sent out by the church in Antioch, he says, all through Asia Minor and into the Greek peninsula, that whole region, Illyricum, was just beyond Corinth and Ephesus. He says, in that whole region... The gospel's done. The gospel's done. In fact, he said, did, did you catch that? Verse 23, I, I no longer have any room for work in these regions. Me, with my vision of preaching Christ where he's not been named, there's nothing for me to do here anymore. Now, why did he say that? Had he gone to every single person <laughs> in this whole region and proclaimed the gospel? It's Impossible. He hadn't. What does he mean that the gospel is proclaimed in this whole region? Well, when we were growing up in Pakistan, one of the great hardships of being a missionary kid in those days was there was no McDonald's in the entire country. So every five years, we'd come back to the States for a year of furlough, and straight from the airport, guess where we wanted to stop first of all? <laughs> the very first golden arches we saw, we'd be yelling at mom and dad, pull in, and there we would devour a Big Mac. And I mean, it just was unbelievable flavor. Well, our children were deprived of the same thing when they were born in Pakistan because there were still no McDonald's in Pakistan. But finally, one day, the unimaginable happened. And McDonald's opened a franchise in the city of Lahore in Pakistan. We saw pictures of this. We could not believe it. We wondered, is it going to taste the same? You know, and, But we lived a long way away, about four, five hours away by bus. But well, one day, I had meetings in Lahore, and I was heading back early afternoon, and I thought, I wonder if five Big Macs could survive a five-hour bus journey. (laughs) Now, you got to be pretty desperate, but if if you haven't ever lived without McDonald's for five years, you're not going to get this. (laughs) Some of you can't even stand it, I know. But this was like the holy grail of culinary experiences. (laughs) So, yes, after my meetings, I went by the McDonald's, got five Big Macs, stuck them on my seat, Five hours to Islamabad, the capital area where we lived. And when I got home, the kids shrieked with delight as we pulled out, stuck in the microwave, these Big Macs. Now, why could I not get a Big Mac as a kid, but eventually my kids could in Pakistan? Pretty simple reason. A franchise had opened up there. Now in the city of Lahore in Pakistan in 1995, every single person, if they wanted, they could get a Big Mac. That's exactly what Paul says he's done. In this whole region, he established franchises, not for McDonald's, but for Jesus Christ. And what did he call those franchises? Churches, exactly. Competent churches. He says, wherever there are competent churches in every city, there the gospel is proclaimed. The gospel is finished. It's done because people can have access to it. And you say, well, how can the gospel be done when some people don't know the gospel? Well, it's true that people even in the U.S. don't know the gospel, but they can because they live next to you and they work next to you. You're the one that can tell them. And so Paul said, in this whole region now, the gospel work is done. My job is finished here. Doesn't mean that the work is done. We need pastors, we need counselors, we need churches, we need people continuing to do that. But the one who has a vision for proclaiming Christ who has not been known says, this is done. The gospel is available here. Is there any place left in the world for me to go? And that's where we come to the third element of having a vision for preaching Christ where he was not known. You see, at at this point, the time of his writing, Paul was probably 60 years old or so, about the time that some of us get ready to kick back and figure out how we're going to enjoy our retirement years. Paul would not even think of retirement because he had a burning passion, even at that age. And that was about the life expectancy back then, frankly. So he was an old man But he was burning with a drive to preach Christ where he had not been known. And there was one place in the world he had heard of that did not yet know about Jesus. And that was the place that attracted his attention. The third element of a vision to complete the gospel is that it focuses on an unreached people, it focuses on an unreached people. Verse 20, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. You might wonder, what in the world does that mean? Does Paul just not like to work with other people? (laughs) He doesn't play well with others? Or, Or was he so proud that he like had to have his name on everything that he did? No, I don't think either of those is the case. I think what he is saying is that if somebody else is laying a foundation, that means that a church is going up. That place has been marked. A franchise is going in there. And Paul said, it's urgent that I go beyond that now because something is happening here. The gospel is available. And so he says in verse 21, finishing that sentence, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand. And here he's repeating for us the words of Isaiah 52. This is the beginning of the fourth servant song that we love so much that so clearly describes the ministry of Jesus. But at the beginning of that servant song, Isaiah says, just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness, so will he sprinkle many nations. You see, the blood of Jesus, Isaiah understood, and Paul understood this as well, would one day sprinkle and cleanse many nations from their sins. And kings will shut their mouths because of him. Imagine that. Isaiah saw this day coming that leaders of countries would hear of the Messiah who sacrificed his innocent life for them, and their mouths would be shut in awe and wonder. They would hear of the vaccine that could save their lives, and they would be amazed. But not until what? For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. Paul says, this is why I have this great ambition. Isaiah's already described it. Jesus is coming, Isaiah said. Paul said, Jesus has come, but he's not come to the ends of the earth yet, because people there do not yet know about him. Paul could not rest until the gospel was completed, and this was the ambition of his life. Francis Xavier was born in a royal castle to a noble family in Spain in 1506. He turned his back on many opportunities for worldly advancement and pleasure to go eastward and preach the gospel, first in India and later on in Japan. And as he was preaching the gospel in India, he remembered his friends back in university. And he said, oh, I long to be back in Spain and to to tell my friends who are living for this world's pleasures and fame and glory. I I long to tell them, give up your small ambitions and come eastward to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Francis Xavier got a piece of this vision from Paul who got it from Jesus. That the ambitions we have for our lives are way too small and they're going to, in the end, most all of them are going to burn up and be counted for nothing And so he says, give those up now while you can and invest your life in something that's going to last for all of eternity. And that is taking Jesus to people who have never heard him before. Well, he knew he couldn't do it alone, as we mentioned. And so in verse 24, he says, so I want to be helped on my journey there by you. This was a little code word that Middle Easterners understood very well. We in our more direct culture in the West would have to spell this out. But this little word in verse 24, to be helped on my journey actually has a whole wealth of meaning in it. It means doing everything necessary to enable me to go to Spain, essentially is what he was saying. I'm going to need some clothes. I'm going to need food. I'm going to need some money. I'm going to need a ticket, and maybe even some traveling companions. Whatever it's going to take, I want you now, the church in Rome, to do for me. And so when I say that you need to have Paul's ambition to preach Christ where he's not been known, I'm not saying that you have to go yourself. See, this isn't a matter that a few people have to do this and the rest of us are off the hook. No, no, the church at Rome was a critical part of helping Paul finish what he was called to do. I don't know how many God will send out from this church. He should send out some. His Spirit is moving among you and will over these next couple of weeks. And some of you, I trust, will be stirred to actually go and do what Paul has described here. But my guess is probably less than 5% of you should do that. Because why? It's going to take 95% of you to send the 5%. They're going to need that encouragement, that support, that prayer base, that financial investment in order for them to go and do that. And so verse 24 is for probably the majority of you. The, The ones that God is calling out from your midst to go and preach Christ directly need a team behind them to send them pro-pempo is the Greek word. It's doing everything that's necessary to allow them to be effective and fruitful in their ministry. So you have the Humphreys in the UAE, the falses in Thailand. They are your church's missionaries. And you need to get to know them. You need to read their letters. You need to pray for them. You need to encourage them and provide for them. And I'm sure you're doing a lot of that, but my guess is you could maybe do more of it to enable them to be fruitful and multiply in the places that God has called them to. And then one day God will hopefully send some folks out from you, they're in this room right now, or that we're here in first service. And, and you're going to need a team behind you to do verse 24. But it takes everybody having this vision that our objective is to preach Christ where he has not been known. So what actually happened to Paul? Well, we do know that he made it to Rome as a prisoner. And after that, it's a little bit sketchy because the Bible doesn't describe it. We think after a couple of years of imprisonment, he was released and he went on a fourth missionary journey that got him all the way to Spain. And here's a quote from Clement, an early church father. who said, Paul, having taught righteousness to the whole world. Imagine that. Now, this Clement is writing in 95 AD that Paul actually did, by God's grace, what his passion was. Now, we know today that it wasn't the whole world. There was lots of the world that they didn't know about. But all the world that Paul knew about, he had taught righteousness to the whole world, having gone to the limits of the West and having given testimony before rulers. And then Paul was probably ultimately martyred and beheaded in the city of Rome, but not until he had accomplished the vision that God had given him. Well, what do we do with our lives? Castleton Community Church is a competent church. Praise God for that. Thank God for men like Tommy and Luke and Eric and others that lead. Thank God for all of you who are competent to instruct one another. We delight to see that, and God does as well. But to have this vision, we need to see past that. We need to see our whole country. Do you know that our whole country, actually, the United States, has the gospel been fulfilled in our country? Paul's words. If the gospel was fulfilled from Jerusalem to Greece in 60 AD by the planting of a couple of dozen churches, maybe, then I would say absolutely the gospel is fulfilled in the United States. I mean, we have churches on many corners of our cities. We have 350 Christian TV stations, 1,100 Christian radio stations, bookstores, internet. It's just all available. And you say, yeah, but my my neighbor doesn't know the gospel. I need to be here and tell them. And that's exactly why this is a proclaimed gospel in America, because you are their neighbor. They know somebody who knows Jesus. And so you need to be that light in your neighborhood and and where you work and at your school. But in that process, there are enough of us in America. 27% of America is evangelical. There are enough of us now that everybody in the U.S. has access to the gospel. So to have a vision for preaching Christ where he's not been named means that we see past the competent church that's here as much as we give thanks for it. We look beyond a proclaimed gospel in the United States as much as we give thanks for all of that. And we see an unreached people way out there somewhere who have never heard yet once the name of Jesus. Now, I didn't finish telling you the story of polio. And I forgot to share this first hour, so aren't you glad you came second hour? <laughs> I, I still don't know why this happened, but in 1988, 33 years after the vaccine had been discovered, the World Health Organization decided that we need to get this message all around the world. <laughs> what were you doing for 33 years? I, somebody figure that out for me. But they, they said, we're going to eradicate polio by the year 2000. 12-year time frame, they were going to eradicate polio. And you know what? They did it. The number of new cases has fallen by 99.9%. In 1988, there were 350,000 cases in that one year alone around the world. And in 2001, there were only 483. Now, think about that. The World Health Organization doing something noble managed by disseminating the information and making the vaccine available around the world basically eradicated the scourge of polio from the face of the earth in 12 years. But the Church of Jesus Christ 2,000 years after he gave us the command to make disciples of all nations have not yet eradicated the spiritual poverty that is sending millions of people to hell today. Not because they haven't heard, but because they are all sinners like you and me. They've got the disease, they just need the cure. You had the disease, I had the disease, but I've heard of the cure and I've taken the medicine of the blood of Jesus. Well, I hope you're asking this question now so where has Christ not been named in the world anybody thinking about that because otherwise we're like stopping a step too soon (laughs) we can't just let it hang out there because if you have a passion to preach Christ where he's never been named you you need to know where that is and so can I show you so here's a few maps just to quick take a look at this map uh, has the percentage of evangelicals in countries all around the world and basically the lighter the color the more evangelicals they are so you'll see The U.S. is one of the five or six most evangelical countries in the world. Anything wrong with that? Not at all. We praise God for that. But as you get darker and darker, the the very dark ones have zero to 0.5% evangelicals. That means that people living in those countries have never heard and most likely never will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. There just aren't enough Christians there. Here's another way to look at the world. Each dot, which obviously you can't see, but they kind of merge together, is 50,000 people. Green dots have the gospel available. Red dots don't have the gospel available. So now you can begin to see, okay, where in the world... See, now Paul would have given his right arm for this information. We have so much data now that missiologists have put together. We know where these people live. And this is where they live in North Africa, the Middle East, South Asia and Southeast Asia, and Indonesia, and then Japan. These are the areas of the world today where almost three billion people live, one-third of the world's population, that are beyond the reach of the gospel. Now, you tell me how the World Health Organization can wipe out polio in 12 years, and we can't wipe out spiritual poverty with all the resources God has given our church. Here's one other way to look at it. This is Just another sort of a broader map. We want to go to the red parts of the world. That's where Paul would have made a beeline for. Sent by competent churches in the green parts of the world. But that's where he wanted to minister. And I I wonder if there's somebody in this congregation that in these couple of weeks, you're going to feel God leading you to to adopt Paul's vision and his passion and his ambition. To go to those red parts of the world and, and be the first one the greatest joy of my life has been to talk with Muslims in Pakistan and for the first time ever to share why Jesus came. I mean, that gives me enough juice to live for a long time. And, and God wants to continue to do that through you. But like I said earlier, it's going to take the rest of you to send them. Here's another way to look at it. If, if you just did the world spatially by population of unreached peoples, It's a very misshapen world. You've never seen a map like that. This is, in one way, how God looks at the world. The bulk of people that are beyond the reach of the gospel of Jesus are in South Asia. Amazing. So it's a good thing that you're starting a partnership with Good News for India. And you're going to get to hear a man in two weeks. You know, people that wear normal clothes like I'm wearing and enjoy really delicious food uh, are, are the primary people that live in these parts of the world. And you need to be impacting them. You have an opportunity to impact them. And you can do more than you can possibly imagine to spread the gospel to these parts of the world. But what, what is it going to take? Well, let me just show you a couple more. These are people groups with more than 10 million people in them, large people groups. Indiana has 6, 6.5 million. So each of these have more people than the entire state of Indiana. And less than one-tenth of 1%, less than one out of 1,000 are Christians. My friends, this is the bullseye. If Paul was around today, he would be making a beeline for one of these groups. And what country are most of them in? Yeah, India. Kind of just jumps out of the chart. But there's, there's a few others. And then one more. I think we've got one more slide. Yeah. Really, the, the, there's good news that I hope you learn in the next couple of weeks. The church has been advancing rapidly in South America and in Africa phenomenally so, but the the problem is that the population in those unreached areas is growing much faster than in the reached areas of the world. So when I first started learning about this when I was in college, uh, and yeah, that's fine, you kind of saw that graph. So when Jim and I were in college at Grace College back in 74, they estimate there were about 2 billion unreached people in the world. Now that number has gone up by 50%. The number of unreached people is increasing in the world every single day. And why? One of the reasons is that we have not, we have not got Paul's vision. As John Piper describes it, we hold back because of the moral stupor that comes over us when we are satiated with the comforts of this world. We drink the water and breathe the air of our culture. we're just taught to have the wrong goals we're living for small things even if they're good things we're not willing to release all that we are and have you need to release you need to let god have it all you need to pray and then let god discern and lead you for how he would involve you churches are not doing a good job of this i was just at a conference at mclean bible church with david platt last week And he said that 97% of giving to missions in the American church goes to the green areas of the world. We're not focusing on the red areas with our money. And 99% of those that we send out to serve serve in the green and yellow areas of the world. That's why it's wonderful that you have two families in the red parts of the world. We need to send more there. But something has got to change. And it's not good change until you understand one final word in our text. We went over it pretty quickly, but it's in verse 16. Paul says, I was a minister of the gospel of Christ. And the word he uses there is a word that was used for a public official in the government of Greece as they led their cities and states. Now, in our day and age, a public official gets paid to do their work. It was exactly the opposite back in that day. You could only become a public official if you were the one that financed the roads, the choirs, the athletic teams, whatever you you wanted in your city. You had to fund it. And so a public official would only get involved as they gave of their own resources. And what Paul is saying, I think, in words that, that they would have understood, but we don't understand today, to be a minister of Christ Jesus means that you bring all of your resources, everything that you have, and say, God This is not mine any longer. It is yours. My time, my talents, my job, my money, and yes, even my children. I put that as the ministers in Greece would do. They'd put it on the altar to their beloved Greece. We put all those things on the altar to our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ. And then we listen for his voice and we work through the church men like Tommy and Luke to guide you through this process and together my challenge is that you both individually and as a church make this the driving passion of your life that Christ would be preached where he's not been known it's a vision that Paul got from Jesus it's a vision that David Livingston got from Robert Moffat Robert Moffat was a pioneering missionary to Africa and he was back in England speaking to some students and he described this scene to them. Many a morning have I stood on the porch of my house and looking northward have seen the smoke arise from villages that have never heard of Jesus Christ. I have seen at different times the smoke of a thousand villages. Villages whose people are without Christ, without God and without hope in the world. The smoke of a thousand villages. When Dr. David Livingston heard that, he said, that phrase haunted my memory. To think that there are that many people in Africa who've never once heard. And he took all that he had, his doctor's degree, his professional skills, his finances, and he just laid it on the altar for Jesus. And he went to Africa and spent the rest of his life in that dangerous, disease-ridden continent so that people who had never heard might hear Jesus. I wonder, does the vision of an incomplete gospel of those thousand villages haunt your memory today? Would you join Paul in the Christ-exalting ambition of doing everything within your power to make Jesus known for the first time where he's never been preached? Would you pray with me? Would you just take a moment and... Let the Spirit speak to you. I I don't know your situation, your gifts and your abilities, your limitations. I'm, I'm pretty sure you can all pray. And just let the Holy Spirit ask and answer this question of you. What am I doing so that Christ might be preached where he has never been named? Jesus, we thank you that you were a servant of us, that you gave up your throne in heaven. You came and lived in flesh and bones like we live in. You became obedient to death, even death on a cross for us. We thank you not only that you did that, but also that we have heard about it and that your spirit by grace has opened our eyes to believe. Father, I pray for Castle Community Church, and for every person listening right now, I don't know what you have for them, but I believe they can do more to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So help them to that end and use them, yes, to continue reaching Indianapolis and the United States, but also to look beyond these to those red parts of the world. Would you use them to make the name of Jesus great and to bring salvation to many souls who otherwise never would have heard. Because this will bring you more honor, Lord Jesus, on the day when you come back when all the saints are gathered around and worship your throne. And we look to that day. We know you're going to do it with or without us. and We worship you as the Lord of history who is worthy of the praise of all the peoples of the earth. Might it happen more and more in our lifetime, we pray for your glory, Jesus, and in your name. Amen.